Greetings, and welcome to the Global E third quarter 2021 earnings call. This call is being simultaneously webcast on the company's website in the investor section under news and events. For opening remarks and introductions, I'll now turn the call over to Erica Mannion at Sapphire Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning. With me today from Global E are Amir Schlockett, co-founder and chief executive officer, Ofer Karen, chief financial officer, and Nir Devi, co-founder and president. Amir will begin with a brief review of the business results for the third quarter ended September 30, 2021. Ofer will review the financial results for the third quarter followed by the company's outlook for the fourth quarter and full year of 2021. We will then open the call for questions. Certain statements we make may constitute forward-looking statements and information within the meaning of Section 27A of the Securities Act of 1933, Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, and the Safe Harbor Provisions of the U.S. Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 that relate to our current expectations and futures, excuse me, and views of future events. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions, some of which are beyond our control. In addition, these forward-looking statements reflect our current views with respect to future events and are not a guarantee of future performance. Actual outcomes may differ materially from the information contained in the forward-looking statements as a result of a number of factors, including those set forth in the section titled Risk Factors in our prospectus filed with the SEC on September 13, 2021, and other documents filed with or furnished to the SEC. These statements reflect management's current expectations regarding future events and operating performance and speak only as of the date of this call. You should not put undue reliance on any forward-looking statements. Although we believe that the expectations reflected in the forward-looking statements are reasonable, we cannot guarantee that future results, levels of activity, performance and events and circumstances reflected in the forward-looking statements will be achieved or will occur. Except as required by applicable law, we undertake no obligation to update or revise publicly any forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, after the date on which the statements are made or to reflect the occurrence of unanticipated events. Please refer to our press release dated November 9, 2021 for additional information. In addition, certain metrics will be discussed today, excuse me, we will discuss today non-GAAP metrics. The presentation of this financial information is not intended to be considered in isolation or as a substitute for or superior to financial information prepared and presented in accordance with GAAP. We use these non-GAAP financial measures for financial and operating decision-making and as a means to evaluate period-to-period comparisons. We believe that these measures provide useful information about operating results, enhance the overall understanding of past financial performance and future prospects, and allow for greater transparency with respect to key metrics used by management in its financial and operational decision-making. For more information on the non-GAAP measures, (coughs) excuse me, the non-GAAP financial measures, 
please see the reconciliation tables provided in our press release dated November 9, 2021. Throughout this call, we provide a number of key performance indicators used by our management and often used by competitors in our industry. These and other key performance indicators are discussed in more detail in our press release dated November 9, 2021. I will now turn the call over to Amir, co-founder and CEO. Thank you, Erica, and welcome, everyone. I hope everyone is keeping safe and healthy. Thank you all for joining us today for our quarterly earnings call, and let's jump straight into our third quarter results. I'm proud to report that Q3 was another record quarter for us. Gross merchandise value, or GMV, grew to $352 million, or 86% growth year-on-year. Revenues for the quarter were $59.1 million, representing 77% year-on-year growth. Our gross profit grew even faster, by 127% year-on-year, reaching $22.8 million. Our gross profitability margin further expanded in Q3 to 38.6%, up from 30.2% in Q3 of last year, thanks to our growing economies of scale and increased efficiencies. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter totaled $7.7 million, almost tripling year over year, attributed primarily to our highly efficient operating model. Before we dive further in, I would like to mention that from a broader market perspective, during Q3, we have started to see signs of the anticipated return to normality in e-commerce growth trends. We have seen key markets beginning to exhibit various levels of COVID relief in the form of reopening of physical retail, swinging the pendulum of consumer spend slightly back from the record levels of e-commerce market share we have witnessed throughout the height of the pandemic. That being said, we expect e-commerce to continue gaining market share faster than during pre-pandemic times as new consumer audiences, as well as small to large brands alike, are shifting more weight towards e-commerce. Within e-commerce, the D2C, or direct-to-consumer, cross-border e-commerce market opportunity is immense and continues to grow significantly faster than the overall e-commerce market. As such, during Q3, we continue to reinvest heavily into our business and have made great progress across all our key strategic growth levers. First, we continue to onboard more merchants onto our platform across all geographies we operate in, while expanding our work with existing merchants and brand groups. For example, our relationship with the LVMH Luxury Group continued to develop, as during Q3, we launched with two more group houses, Anshi and Sephora Asia, the latter contributing to our growing business in Asia-Pacific. Another example of a successful new merchant relationship is the fast-growing sports clothing brand Alo Yoga, which is our latest large enterprise brand to go live on the Shopify platform, further exemplifying the value of our strategic partnership with Shopify. This quarter also saw several merchants expanding the scope of their partnership with us to additional lanes. Notable examples include the consumer electronics brand Sennheiser, which added 15 additional markets, the luxury jewelry brand Bouchon, part of the Caring Luxury Group, that added the U.S. and Europe, 
as well as Spanish footwear brand Camper, which added support for 15 new markets. Second, our direct sales channels continue to be augmented by an ever-expanding list of strong channel partners. The latest partnership we announced is with the Australian Post Group, yielding us access to their vast Australian client base and providing further support for our penetration into the APAC region. Third, we continue to develop and enhance our multi-local support features and capabilities, launching with Jabra, our first global consumer electronics brand, as well as with the football club Leeds United, representing the latest addition to our growing list of sports club merchant partners. Another notable feature we deployed for our merchants at the beginning of Q3 was support for the new OSS and IOSS value-added tax regimes in Europe. With such support provided natively by the Globally platform, the otherwise complicated transition from the old distance selling VAT regime to the new IOSS one was seamless and transparent for all our merchants. Furthermore, due to the complexity which is involved in supporting the new regime, some of our merchants, such as the sports club Arsenal, for example, which in the past operated in Europe by themselves, chose now to move the European markets to be operated by Globally. Across all these channels, our pipeline remains stronger than ever. Fourth, we continue to put significant effort and resources into our fast-growing strategic cooperation with Shopify. We are seeing great market traction with the Shopify merchant base as part of our partnership with enterprise merchants such as Netflix and Aloyoga, as well as with a growing number of smaller emerging brands. On the technical side, we recently completed the first phase of our new native integration into Shopify, with the first pilot merchants already live and selling through the new seamless plugin. Netflix, whom I've already mentioned, is actually one of the first enterprise merchants to be selling through the new native integration. Over the next quarters, we intend to continue working together with Shopify in order to roll out the additional phases of the new native integration which is expected to lead to an even more seamless merchant go-live process. Last but not least, in parallel to capturing our fast organic growth opportunities consistent with our previously announced strategy, we intend to continue exploring synergetic M&A opportunities as non-organic options to further enhance our platform's capabilities. As you all know, our people have always been the key element of our success. As such, throughout Q3, we continue to recruit many more great and passionate individuals. They join our super talented and dedicated teams around the globe, helping us build sound foundations of our continued future growth. As part of these efforts, we also recently signed a long-term lease for our new R&D center and headquarters in Israel. We cannot wait to move to our new home in Q2 of next year once the renovation work is done. We are still in the early innings of direct-to-consumer cross-border e-commerce, and within it, we believe that we are just taking off. We are a reputation-first company, and merchants' recognition of the tremendous value we create for them and for the entire ecosystem continues to grow. Day in and day out, more and more merchants from around the world are coming onto our platform to grow their international business 
and serve their shoppers around the world. We believe that our leading end-to-end solution, coupled with our execution capabilities, position us for rapid growth and success well into the future. And with that, I will hand it over to Offer, our CFO, to go over our financial results in more depth, as well as provide our outlook for the remainder of the year. Thank you, Amir, and thanks again, everybody, for joining us today for our quarterly earnings call. We are pleased that our business has been tracking well and our strong growth momentum continued throughout Q3. I'd like to point out again that in addition to our GAAP results, I'll also be discussing certain non-GAAP results. Our GAAP financial results, along with the reconciliation between GAAP and non-GAAP results, can be found in our earnings release. As Amir mentioned, our rapid growth in GMV continued in Q3 as we generated $352 million of GMV, an increase of 86% year-over-year. We continue to tap into the massive opportunity of the direct-to-consumer cross-border e-commerce market, which is growing much faster than the overall e-commerce market, while the reopening of physical retail and the return of e-commerce growth rates to normality is evident. Total revenue for the three months ended September 30, 2021, were $59.1 million, up 77% year-over-year. Service fees revenues were $23 million, up 89%. Fulfillment services revenue were up 71% to $36.2 million. The higher growth in service fees revenues relative to fulfillment services revenue was driven mainly by the launch of our multi-local offering, for which we typically do not provide fulfillment services as the model is largely based on local shipping. Another factor is a decrease in the customs clearance fees revenues alongside custom clearance costs as a result of the new OSS and IOSS rules related to cross-border e-commerce VAT in and into the EU, which came into force on July, as we mentioned in our previous call. While we generated considerable growth across the business, we've continued to experience higher pace growth in our U.S. outbound revenue, reflecting the strengthening reputation of globally in the U.S. market. U.S. outbound revenue was up 91% year over year. In addition, during the quarter, we were pleased to see continued significant contribution of GMV and revenue from some of the new logos we launched during the year. Now, let's review the income statement in more detail. Gross profit continues to grow significantly faster than our top line as we continue to improve gross gross margins, leveraging our scale and improving efficiencies. In Q3, gross profit was $22.8 million, up 127% year over year, and representing a gross margin of 38.6% compared to 30.2% in the same period last year, also affected by the higher share of service fee revenues. We are very pleased with our margin expansion, and we continue to put efforts to support this trend. Moving on to operational expenses, on the R&D front, we continue to invest in the development and enhancement of our platform to further expand our offering and lay the foundations for future growth. 
As Amir mentioned, during Q3, we continued the development of the new Shopify platform integration in collaboration with Shopify teams. We have already launched the first pilots, including the onboarding of Netflix. R&D expense, excluding stock-based compensation, was $6.4 million, or 10.8% of revenue, compared to $3.6 million, or 10.9% in the same period last year, as we scale up our investment in R&D. Total R&D spend in Q3 was $8.3 million. We continue to invest in sales and marketing to support our fast growth and capture the growing market opportunity, and we continue to see a very healthy and growing pipeline while still maintaining high efficiency levels. Sales and marketing expense, excluding the amortization expenses related to the Shopify warrants, was $5.4 million, or 9.2% of revenue, compared to $2.2 million, or 6.5% of revenue, in the same period last year. Shopify warrants-related amortization expense was $29.4 million, including this expense, sales and marketing expense for the quarter, totaled $34.9 million. General and administrative expense, excluding stock-based compensation, was $4.5 million, or 7.5% of revenue, compared to $1.7 million, or 5% of revenue in the same period last year. This expense reflects the full quarter impact of additional expenses related to being a public company, including our DNO insurance policy costs and also one-time costs related to the follow-on secondary offering, which we executed during the quarter. Total GNA spend in Q3 was $7.8 million. Adjusted EBITDA totaled $7.7 million, representing a 13.1 adjusted EBITDA margin, increasing from $2.7 million, or 8.2% margin, in the same period last year. Net loss was $28.5 million, compared to a net income of $1.3 million in the year-ago period, a direct outcome of the amortization expense related to the Shopify warrant. Net profit excluding the amortization expense related to the Shopify warrants was $0.9 million. Switching gears and turning to the balance sheet and cash flow statement, we ended Q3 with $492 million in cash, cash equivalents, including short-term deposits and marketable securities, which reflect a high level of liquidity. Operating cash flow in the quarter was $5.5 million compared to a negative operating cash flow of $0.5 million a year ago due to the increase in adjusted EBITDA. Moving to our financial outlook, we are raising our Q4 and full year guidance. Our guidance reflects the strong momentum of the business alongside the normalizing of e-commerce growth rates due to the reopening of physical stores. For Q4, we're expecting GMV to be in the range of $465 to $475 million. At the midpoint of this range, this represents a growth rate of 55% versus Q4 of 2020. We expect Q4 revenue to be in the range of $76.4 to $78.4 million. This represents a growth rate of 45% at the midpoint of the range versus Q4 of 2020. 
For adjusted EBITDA, we're expected a profit in the range of $7.3 to $8.3 million. For the full year of 2021, we are raising our guidance and anticipate GMV to be in the range of $1.41 to $1.42 billion, representing nearly 83% annual growth at the midpoint of the range. Revenue is expected to be in the range of $239 to $241 million, representing a growth rate of 76% at the midpoint of the range. For adjusted EBITDA, we're expecting profit of $27.9 to $28.9 million. Our outlook for the full year of 2021 reflects additional investments in personnel-related costs, sales and marketing and product development, as well as incremental general and administrative costs associated with being a public company. In In conclusion, we believe that there are tremendous opportunities for more high-paced growth, well above the market average in the years to come. We are gearing ourselves up in order to be well-positioned to capture all of these opportunities. Exciting times ahead. And with that, Amir, Nir, and I are happy to take any of your questions. Operator? We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star, then one, on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. If at any time your question has been addressed and you would like to withdraw your question, please press star then two. To ensure we are able to get to everyone, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. The first question comes from James Fawcett with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, and thanks for taking the time today. Um, I want to ask first, on your demand and ability to fulfill, are you seeing any adverse impacts right now from the well-publicized supply chain constraints, et cetera, that seem to be in the market and impacting uh, good production globally? And, And if so, has that been how are you factoring that into your outlook and planning thanks james uh thanks for the question um this is amir generally speaking we we ourselves don't encounter any uh interruptions due to the uh challenges in in the global logistics market uh, for the reason that uh basically our uh, entire uh, volume of shipments uh goes uh, via air and we have uh um, uh, very good and close uh, relationships with our uh, strategic logistics partner that, uh, partners in general that give us um, priority. M- most of the challenges currently are, uh, in the world are uh, in sea freight and, and not in air. Having said that, uh, we do see from time to time uh, some challenges for our, uh, merchants. Some of our merchants uh, have uh, uh, some inventory um, uh, issues from time to time, but nothing material and nothing that uh, to date has made any any disruption in our business or in our merchant's business. Got it. And then, you know, you, you highlighted that you're in the, that you're starting to see good movement with Shopify merchants and you're in the pilot phases. How are you thinking, or better said, how should we be thinking about 
the the ramp, um, the pace at which it'll ramp, um, how big of a merchant base within uh, the Shopify group are you currently engaged with and, and ultimately targeting? Just a bit more color on what the ways to track and anticipate the evolution and ramp of, of that relationship. Hi, James. Uh, thank you for the question. It's near. Uh, we do expect somewhat growth in the next quarters as we see demand and bookings of large Shopify merchants such as Alum, the yoga that just launched with us or Netflix um, continue to build up. Um, however, as we see strong bookings momentum also with large brands outside Shopify uh, through our partnership with SFCC, big commerce and others, uh, we do expect the growth of Shopify uh, sharing mix to be gradual. But overall, we see our bookings, I would say, growing at a fast pace versus uh, last year. So if last year we nearly, uh, sorry, we more than doubled our new GMV bookings versus 2019, uh, we expect this trend to continue uh, this year with bookings uh, currently at a pace to more than double versus 2020 numbers. That's great. Thank you so much. The next question comes from Samad Samana with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, maybe a, a follow-up to, to James's question around Shopify. You know, the, the company rolled out Shopify markets during the quarter, and, and we get a lot of questions about maybe what the difference is between what Shopify markets is and, and what Globally is offering. And, and we think we know the differences, but just could you help us maybe clarify um, how you think about Shopify markets and, and, and how that uh, impacts the relationship that Globally has with Shopify? Yeah, thank you for the question, Samad. It's near. Um, basically, uh, as we see it, and Shopify sees it as well, Shopify Markets is a complementary solution to what Globally offers. Um, Shopify Markets comes to cater for the smaller SMB brands that are, I would say, the vast majority in terms of number of Shopify clients. However, the, the vast majority of the potential GMV in cross-border trading is concentrated at the top 1-2% of Shopify merchants, and those uh, uh, do need I would say, a more comprehensive solution, including uh, the MOR uh, solution that Globally provides, including the high-touch, I would say, guidance into best practices, including customer services uh, around the world in multiple languages uh, that are not uh, a part of the current uh, or future um, Shopify markets offering. So it's much more a differentiation um, on high-touch services that are catered more for the larger brands. Great, that, that's helpful. And then maybe if I if I think about the the guidance, and I, and I know you gave some some color around it, but um, as we think about the maybe some of the like, if we could double click on it. Um, how are you thinking about, have you factored in that, that maybe some of your, your clients may be impacted by supply chain issues or 
just um, are you factoring in that the world will be more open? Just maybe help us understand um, some of the factors that are, that have been kind of accounted for in that initial outlook for the fourth quarter. Thank you so much. The offer, do you want to, to take that question? Sure. Um, so, Samad, thank you for the question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, even though there was a lot of uncertainty during the year, uh, when we initially uh, planned 2021, uh, we thought that uh, there might be uh, some COVID relief at some point in time, and we took that into account even in our original uh, planning. So uh, basically that was taken into account through uh, Q3 and uh, Q4, so it was already uh, baked in our uh, original uh, guidance. And uh, as we went through the year, we saw that we were uh, sort of uh, uh, picking up uh, momentum and, and growing fast, and we were able to, uh, to, to update the guidance uh, uh, every quarter. And uh, we are raising uh, the guidance also uh, um, uh, towards uh, Q4. We feel uh, uh, confident, and I think all those factors are already uh, uh, baked in uh, in our guidance. Great. Maybe I, I'm gonna, I, I'd like to squeeze in a third one. Just um, I, you know, uh, Amir, we'd mentioned uh, you know, M and A came up on on the last call. Uh, the company had, had brought it up, so I'm just curious if if any update on on the M and A front, um, especially with us being fairly close to year end, should we? Should we still have that in mind for 2021, or should we now be starting to think about that more as a 2022 uh, type of uh, event? Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, indeed, we are. Uh, we continue to uh, explore uh, potential uh, M&A opportunities. Uh, we still uh, we we have uh, some uh, in the pipeline in uh, various stages. Uh, we do still uh, expect, uh, I would say, uh, at least one uh, announcement uh, potentially this side of uh, Christmas. And, and yes, uh, as, as we mentioned uh, in the past as well, we do view non-organic um, uh, growth as, um, as means to enhance our, our cap- the capabilities of the platform. Uh, in our, our uh, reach, so um, uh, we definitely uh, expect to continue exploring these uh, in 2022 as well. Great. Thanks for taking all my questions, and, and congrats on all the success. Thanks a lot, Tom. The next question comes from Brent Bracelin with Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for taking the question here. Uh, one for uh, Amir and a clarification for Ophir. Amir, it's exciting to hear the, the Netflix merch shop and, and Allo Yogo Go Live on, on Shopify's platform uh, this quarter. I was hoping just to, to drill down a little bit and, and, and really looking for color on like the scope deployments. Are you lighting up a, a handful of geos uh, similar to the traditional merchants? Are you lighting them up you know, globally? Um, how long did the onboarding process take in that kind of high-touch approach? Uh, just any, any additional color as you think about kind of onboarding now, new merchants via kind of that Shopify integration would be interesting. Thanks. 
Yeah, just uh, Brent, just to uh, just to make sure you're asking uh, in terms of um, uh, whether uh, it's uh, regional or global in, in terms of the markets that we support for these brands, or in terms of our uh, ability to uh, deploy the solution for uh, for brands around the world on on Shopify. I just want to make sure that I'm answering the right question. Yeah, just love to know onboarding, like how much how challenging it was to onboard the merchant, number one. And then number two, uh, you've talked about a camper going to 15 new markets. You typically start with a retailer, large retailer, and, and, and a handful of markets, and then expand over time. Is that the same deployment method for these, or, or do they light up you know, all 200 markets uh, as they launch? Got you. Yeah, no, thank you for uh, clarifying. So, uh uh, first, in terms of uh, deployment, both uh, these merchants deployed uh, globally with us, so it wasn't a, a gradual or, or a subset launch. Uh, it, uh, it it really uh, it's on a on a case by case basis with uh, with the larger merchants. These two specific ones, uh, regard you know, irrespective of the fact that they're on Shopify, uh, just as merchants uh, uh, decided to uh, launch the, the entire world uh, at the first go. Uh, in terms of uh, complexity and deployment, I would say um, it, they were fairly uh, in line with our, uh, uh, call it, uh, regular process. Netflix, uh, uh, as we mentioned on the call, uh, went on the new integration. So as you can probably imagine, uh, since this is uh, a first uh, deployment, uh, there were some uh, additional uh, steps and, and checks, and uh, it was... Uh, Slightly more uh, complex from a project uh, point of view, but uh, all in all, um, I would say there is there is nothing out of the ordinary in terms of these uh, these merchant deployments. Helpful color there, and just clarification for over gross profit. You talked about triple digit growth here in, in Q3 outpacing revenue. What drove the the gross margin expansion, particularly on the on the, on the, the software services side, and, and how sustainable are those trends? Thanks. Um, thank you for that, uh, Brent. Um, well, we, you know, as you know, we have a very clear trend of uh, gross margin improvement over time, which, uh, you know, on a macro level is a result of our focus on leveraging our growing scale and, and ongoing optimization. In this specific quarter, the main drivers behind uh, the improvement were the higher share of uh, service fees and, and also the increase in service fee uh, take rate, uh, the, the ongoing optimization of our payment, shipping, and, and fraud management components, and there was also a slightly uh, favorable uh, mix. And, you know, as we go forward, we think this is fairly sustainable and we will uh, continue to put uh, a lot of efforts to leverage our scale and continue to support uh, this general trend of improvement. Great to hear. Thank you. Thanks, the Brent. next question. The next question comes from Paul Wall excuse me, Pat Wall Ravens with JMP Securities. Please go ahead. Hey guys, it's Joey Marinczyk on for Pat. Thank you so much for taking our questions and congrats on the nice results here. Uh, so first, how do you think about the potential to expand into other verticals? And then second, can you just remind us of your GMV con concentration from your top merchants and then you know maybe how you see that changing over time? Thank you. Great, so I'll let Nir uh, take the first question and offer you can take the second one. 
Yeah, thank you for the question. In terms of expanding uh, our reach into new verticals, and I think that overall Q3, we managed to uh, penetrate two new significant verticals. Uh, one of them is consumer electronics with the successful launch of uh, Jabra um, across multiple uh, geographies, uh, as well as uh, the substantial increase in um, operations with Sennheiser. Uh, which is uh, uh, consumer electronics as well. So this building our foothold into uh, consumer electronics where we haven't uh, uh, traded much uh, or at all before. Um, this also supports our new, I would say, business model slash vertical, which is a multi-local approach. So uh, both uh, uh, Jebra and, as Amir mentioned earlier, Leeds United, our example of merchants that are moving into our uh, multi-local approach where we support a, a domestic interaction with consumers worldwide. So it's not only a cross-border model where you ship from a single territory into multiple countries, it's actually deployment in multiple countries around the world and transacting locally uh, with the client. So we see quite a lot of expansion there, and we do expect uh, additional very uh, large brands to join us over this model in the coming quarters. So quite a, a lot of expansion in those two uh, verticals as, uh, as, uh, in parallel to the continuous growth in our current main verticals around uh, fashion, apparel, cosmetics, jewelry, uh, and others. Um, referring to the second question, uh we, we have a relatively fragmented uh, merchant base. Our largest, largest merchant share is decreasing over time, although this merchant is, is growing very nicely, but the entire company is growing uh, faster. So the largest merchant is, uh, is less than 10% uh, of, uh, of GMV. And then the, the top 10, including uh, the largest merchant, are less are around I would say 30% of GMV, but I can give give you some uh, color on that. Some of those uh, um, top 10 are actually new merchants just just you know onboarded and uh, and came into this list. So it's a, I would say it's a dynamic uh, structure, but all in all uh, it is relatively fragmented. Super helpful. Thank you. Congrats on the quarter again. Thanks a lot. The next question comes from Josh Beck with KeyBank. Please go ahead. Thanks, team, for, for taking the question. I, I wanted to ask a industry question. Uh, you talked a bit about the reopening and certainly you know, the impact on e-commerce. At the same time, it, it seems like there are a lot of folks that are going back to work and they're going back to dining and right. There's a bit of a, a peril super cycle. I, I think that's also taking place. Some other companies have certainly called out strength in that vertical. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious how you would maybe balance the, those two factors and how, how they could interplay it as we go into next year. 
Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, sure. So I, I would say um, you, you're right. Uh, we agree with uh, this observation. On the one hand, there is physical reopening. On the other hand, there are um, other factors that are um, contributing to the uh, uh, continued growth in uh, in e-commerce uh, spend, spend in general, and e-commerce spend in in particular. And I would say. All in all, the uh, the trends that we are seeing uh, in in the numbers and in our interactions with uh, with our clients are, are pretty much uh, uh, in line with the numbers that uh, we baked into our uh, into our guidance. So, so kind of you should you should take our uh, our kind of guidance um, as as our view on on how uh, the market will continue to evolve. Okay, uh, very helpful. And you know, I wanted to ask a a take rate question. I realize this is not uh, how you manage the business. It's, it's much more of an output, but I'm getting lots of questions on it. So when we when we do look at the, the fulfillment take rate, obviously it, it was down. Um, you know, I think sequentially and year over year, and it, it seems like there's a, a tax regime change from VAT to this this one stop shopping, and certainly it, it seems to be you know, a bit more simplified, a bit more streamlined, um, obviously not material to the gross profit take rate because that went up. But, um, yeah, should we think about this as, as, a, as a more of a uh, effectively, like, baseline in 3Q21 that incorporates that? And as we move forward, and, again, I know it's not the most important metric, but it's going to be more influenced by things like mix and other factors. So I just want to kind of clarify the, the change in the quarter and what we should be mindful of uh, in the future as well. Sure. Thanks, Josh. Alfred, do you want to give uh, Justin Collar around our uh, take rate dynamic? Sure. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, as you said, take rate has uh, has decreased uh, this uh, quarter. When where actually service fee take rate has a slightly increased to over 6.5 percent. While, uh, as you mentioned, the decrease uh, in overall take rate was a result of the uh, expected decrease in uh, fulfillment take rate. There are two main drivers for that. The first one is, is the fact you just mentioned, uh, the OSS and IOSS implementation in Europe. And that, yes, that's a one-time, uh, uh, I would say, uh, a one-time step down. Uh, we don't expect uh, to see uh, additional influence from this change. Uh, the second driver is the fact that we have launched our multi-local offering, which, you know, for us is a very uh, exciting opportunity, which we discussed in the previous quarter. Uh, for the multi-local offering, we typically do not provide fulfillment services as the model is, is largely based on, on local shipping. So basically those two factors are uh, um, have influenced our take rate, but at the same time also contributed to, to our higher uh, gross margin in, in this quarter. One of them is sort of a one-off uh, um, uh, step down, and the other will, will still accompany us in, uh, in, in uh, future quarters. Uh, crystal clear. Thank you, Ofer, and thank you, Amir. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. The next question comes from Scott Berg with Needham. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Congrats on the starting quarter, and thanks for taking my questions. 
I guess I wanted to start off on the um, on kind of comparing you know, maybe the most recent quarter with with the time frame from a year ago. As you look at new customers that you sold in the quarter, is the I don't know is the onus or pressure on them to be able to more um, you know quickly or accurately fulfill global e-commerce sales as strong as what it was maybe a year ago, kind of the, during the earlier phases of the pandemic, or is there uh, is is maybe their priority um, maybe not as strong in the, on the on the on the global uh, e-commerce um, maybe requirements? Hi, Scott. Thank you for the question. It's Neil. Um, basically, we haven't seen a change in the sentiment of our merchants toward cross-border. Uh, I think that uh, even uh, on some aspects or some merchants, it's the other way around, where we see more, I would say, momentum towards e-commerce as, uh, as a secular trend of the growth of e-commerce expected to continue. Uh, we've seen it with the rollouts of multiple new markets with existing. You've seen it in our land and expand numbers that is actually driving a, a substantial part of our growth. Uh, so we do see merchants continue to explore avenues to continue and expand in e-commerce, especially global e-commerce. So we haven't seen, I would say, a concentration back to uh, my uh, a bias toward my home country or uh, uh, back to physical. So, so still... As we see it, and we are quite optimistic about the long-term trend, as we see uh, super tier one brands uh, opting towards uh, towards our model and towards the e-commerce cross-border, uh, we do see this trend continue over time, maybe with some normalization that, as offer explained, is already baked into our numbers. Very good, helpful. And then I uh, wanted to ask a question on your uh, in your press release. You talked about some strength in, uh, in, in U.S. outbound uh, sales there. But how does the playbook work uh, in selling to merchants in the U.S.? Is it very comparable and similar to, you know, as you sell some of the uh, more established markets in, in maybe a, a MIA, or is the playbook maybe, you know, focused a little differently as you engage with U.S. merchants? Thank you for the question. It's near again. Um, Basically, the playbook itself or the approach to the client for, uh, I would say, guiding them through the solution until, uh, until we sign and roll out uh, is the same across uh, our different territories. There are some flavors to it as a, as a European merchant has different uh, key geographies he wants to focus on. Um, they have a more focus on VAT-related issue in their home market, etc., which we don't see for U.S. brands, but these are flavors on the same process. In terms of the, of the pipeline itself, in the U.S. we see a bit more, uh, uh, I would say, uh, a bit more uh, mixed towards uh, Shopify merchants, as Shopify has a stronger position uh, in, the, in the U.S. versus a uh, more traditional market where we see other platforms uh, in more significant uh, share of the mix. Thanks for the color. Quite helpful. Thanks, Scott. Again, if you have again, if you have a question, please press star then one. The next question comes from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Uh, congrats on the really strong results, and, and it's great to hear that you guys are are winning seemingly every team in the Premier League. That's uh, that's near and dear to my heart. But um, 
So, so first question I just wanted to ask, uh, kind of on, on the land size with, with customers. So obviously cross-border is, is very, very thematic, and, and it sounds like uh, you're, you're landing at larger levels than you were a few years ago. I'm curious, how many geos on average does a new merchant take maybe versus a year or two ago, and what is the reasonable expectation for that metric going forward? Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, the answer to the question would depend uh, based on the merchant size to start with. Any merchants that we, we define as, as less than a very large enterprise uh, would usually roll out a, all international markets at, 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 at get-go. So where outside this home market or maybe uh, two home markets if they're already established in two, is they will roll out all of their international activities at the get-go. With a, with a large, I would say, more traditional brands, as the likes of the Hugo Bosses, the Versaces uh, of the world, you would see a more, uh, I would say, uh, a phased approach, as they do have traditional um, distribution agreements around the world. So basically, we see more phased rollouts, uh, in countries where they uh, can actually go and do e-commerce direct, and then they roll out another badge, and over time, uh, um, when they have the ability and, um, and, and, and can actually deploy more markets, we see uh, additional expansion. But, but in, I would say, pure players and all, all the clients that are not really, I would say, large traditional ones, we would see all markets at once, Usually, on average, we see merchants trading across 160 and 170 uh, active markets. Got it. That, that's great color on that. It, it may be, maybe a higher-level question broadly. Um, you, know, you mentioned returning to normal. I think we're all trying to figure out what that is here. But um, you, know, you guys are launching with new merchants. You're expanding with those merchants. There's geo-expansion. And obviously, cross-border, I think, is growing faster than overall e-commerce. So if, if we tried to unpack that a little bit, you know, what, what is the same-store GMV from, from brands and regions that have been on the platform for more than a year? It, it, any sense for how to unpack that? Thanks, guys. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it, it's true that everybody's uh, trying to uh, understand what, what normalization actually means, uh, and yet I think uh, – we, we all feel that. Um, I would say, uh, generally speaking, that the, the, if you look at the, uh, the e-commerce equivalent of store-on-store uh, -store growth from our, for our merchants, uh, it remains um, strong. We obviously don't, uh, we don't disclose the exact numbers, but I would say it's, uh, uh, it's a strong uh, double-digit uh, growth for our, uh, for our merchant base uh, year-on-year, even through this uh, gradual normalization. Thank you. This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Amir Shlachet for any closing remarks. Thanks a lot. Um, thank you all for your questions. And on behalf of Ofer, Amir, myself, and the entire Global E-Team, I would like to thank you all for joining today and for your continued interest in Global E. I would also like to take this opportunity and thank our growing list of merchants around the globe for their ongoing trust and partnership. Finally, I would like to thank 
our super dedicated and passionate team of employees around the globe who strive tirelessly every day to fulfill our vision and make the future of global e-commerce truly order agnostic. Goodbye all, take care, and we very much look forward to speaking with you again on our future earnings call. The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.